first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is another edition of Monday Mailbag, where I answer listener-submitted questions all episode long. There are several ways to get involved. You can just tweet at me whenever you're thinking of a question, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter, send it my way. Helps if you indicate that it's for Monday Mailbag, but uh, for the most part, I'll be able to figure it out one way or another. Or watch the skies on Monday morning, usually around 9 a.m. Pacific time, when I send out a tweet soliciting listener questions. You respond there, I'll get it on the show. Also, another way that I've mentioned in the past but mostly neglected is you can email the show. If you're not someone who uses Twitter but you want to email the show, you can do it. Just shoot an email to LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. I mentioned this back in the day. It's actually listed in the uh, Twitter profile for Locked On Blazers, but I forgot to check it for many months. So apologies to Lincoln, Jeff, Jeremiah, and Lionel, who all sent me questions months ago, and I didn't get to. So that's the two ways to do it. Twitter or now email will be back on track. I'll, I'll remember to check the email each week. Without further ado, let's get into it. The first question this week comes from Tim A at PDXTimA on Twitter, who asks... What's your favorite story during your time on the beat that you just didn't have an excuse to share until now? All right, Timmy. I might have told this one before. So if you've heard this one before, I apologize. But I think this is my sort of a good story that I wouldn't have any reason to share. I'm not exactly sure where we were on the road, but somewhere in the road locker room. And we were after Blazer win in uh, 2015. And we're talking about like, overweight, out of shape NBA players just kind of like shooting the shit. And Chris Kamen starts making fun of Al Harrington, who had the previous year retired, I believe. And he was just saying like, yo, that dude was way too big to play. Kind of just making fun of him for being out of shape. But at the time, Chris Kamen had played like four games in a total of 15 minutes and was definitely out of shape by NBA standards. And uh, I think Jason Quick kind of laughed at him. And I, I kind of looked over and gave him a big smile like, how are you of all people going to be making fun of someone for out of shape? And he basically looked at me and said, I will beat you in any race you want. Short distance, long distance, you name it, I will beat your ass in a race. And I said, yeah, I mean, duh. And that kind of ended the conversation. We stopped making fun of people um, who were maybe out of shape because Chris Kamen had just challenged me all of, you know, 5'8", 175 to a foot race to prove that he was athletic. Um, NBA players are super athletic. I am a normal out of shape human. I would have lost to Chris Kamen in literally any distance race, but how quickly he snapped on me was pretty funny. All right, this next question comes from Andy Patton at Andy Patton SEA on Twitter, who asks, do you anticipate this draft being less predictable since scouts and GMs don't get to evaluate talent in the NCAA tournament? It's an interesting question, one that I hadn't totally pondered, but I will say this. A lot of the scouting gets done before the NCAA tournament. I've actually had this exact conversation with Neil Olshay where I said that sometimes for some teams, uh, I think the NCAA tournament kind of poisons them where they say, oh man, Shabazz Napier just was awesome. Let's go get him. Not that Shabazz Napier isn't an NBA player, but he probably wasn't worthy of the 10th pick in the draft, but he balled out in March. So he shot up to be a lottery type pick. I don't think it was 10th, but he was high. Worth noting that the majority of NBA scouting happens before the NCAA tournament. Uh, these guys have 
been out places. Uh, certainly, they're going to watch these games in person, these high leverage games, particularly the games where it's star versus star, high leverage situations. Uh, NBA teams put a lot of stock into those. But I, I do think that the NCAA tournament maybe is more valuable for someone like me, a casual college basketball fan, well, a diehard basketball fan, college basketball fan for one team, but I don't watch any other games. The NCAA tournament would be my first chance to see guys play. Uh, I think NBA teams do a little bit more scouting than that. They've seen guys in person. They've gone to, um, you know, a bunch of sort of in-season games. Uh, Neil Olshay has a story about seeing, uh, I believe it's C.J. McCollum Cook, Kent State, or whoever it was. He went to some regular season game before he went off in the tournament, and he knew about C.J. before the uh, C.J. went off against Duke. And, uh, you know, he, he had scouted Damian Lillard, who never made the NCAA tournament. So I think I think that happens in season. But I, I do think that it does hurt some some guys, the Shabazz Napier types, guys who are about to have a really nice march, a really important march where they won big games, made big plays, did the things on a big stage that kind of gets you, bumps you up from maybe like 26 to 17, 17 to 12, 12 to 9, uh, you know, make you some money in, in March by playing big in big games. So I do think it hurts maybe... Um, some draft guys who are going to be deeper without that sort of body of work, but I don't think it'll be wholly less predictable. Uh, I do think there there's a chance that some sort of late guys who are will end up going later in the draft will be would have gone earlier in the draft. Not that they would have deserved it based on their NBA projections, but just ha- kind of how the NCAA tournament affects it. But that, that's an interesting question. Thanks for asking it, Andy. This next one comes from CJ. At friggin' winning, friggin' winning on Twitter, who asks, CJ McCollum sent out a tweet immediately after the season was postponed, not wishing everybody good health or to give money to workers at the Moda Center, but to make sure his fellow NBA ballers manage their wealth. Is health or wealth more important? Okay, CJ's tweet was, I hope all the players take some time to really work on life outside of basketball, using your resources and celebrity to your advantage. Take the meetings, diversify, and learn to explore other avenues of income while you're still in the league, because when it's over, it's over. Yeah, it was a weird tweet by CJ McCollum. I noticed it right away. I showed it to a friend and said, yo, this is a weird thing for him to say. This is a weird reaction to be like, protect your money, be the apex capitalist. Um, Yeah, I, I think you're... You're right for pointing it out, um, but to answer your question without getting too deep into it, wealth is more important because it's America and wealth will lead you to more health. That's the unfortunate state of the world, and maybe it's just my brain after a few days of quarantine. Okay, next question comes from Plenty Money at Peyton PDX, who asks, A little in the weeds, but... An MIT study shows mandatory hand washing at only 10 U.S. airports would cut down on a pandemic spread by 70%. When the NBA comes back, are you prepared to verbally shame anyone in attendance who doesn't wash? No, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. Sorry. The study you linked up was interesting, but um, for me, the while normal citizens could have maybe prevented the spread of this pandemic and some sort of health things. Um, the issue with this is much larger in uh, this systemic part of our country and the way we may have responded as opposed to just um, just straight up berating people for washing their hands. But I did think this, uh, I read the abstract of the thing you linked up, Payton PDX. thought it was pretty interesting. If those of you who follow me on Twitter, check out the uh one of my tweets asking for questions for this show, 
And Peyton PDX links up a pretty interesting study. Check it out. Okay, we're going to keep it rolling in the second segment, answering more of your questions. So stick with us. All right. Still Mailbag Monday. We're going to keep it rolling with more of your questions. This next one comes from Esoteric Eric at Esoteric underscore Eric on Twitter who asks, Who is the most underappreciated Blazer on the current roster? I thought a lot about this one, Eric. They don't, the Blazers don't have that sort of like under the radar role player who gets things done. It's kind of the, the, they don't have an Ed Davis, right? Like, because this team isn't very, isn't very good. And so it's hard to, uh, to point to someone who sort of like does the dirty work for a team that loses, you know, whatever, 55% of their games. So I think the most underappreciated Blazer most of the time is Damian Lillard. Uh, I know that we, he's well celebrated by the fan base and, and hailed as a king in Rip City, but I really think he's the best player who's ever worn a Blazer jersey. And I'm not sure everyone appreciates that each night. In addition, I don't think media members such as myself appreciate how good Dame is to us. So maybe this is a reminder for uh, future and past Mike G. Rich is that Dame has been patient and hooked you up with quotes and stories and time after bad games, after good games, when he knows CJ slipped out early, when he knows Hassan ain't showing up, when he knows that Carmelo's going to take 45 minutes to get out of the locker, get out of the shower. Dame has been there to make the job easier. So uh, past and perhaps future Mike G. Rich, appreciate Dame. You're not going to get a lot of professional athletes that are like him. Uh, Other ones that I pondered on this one, most underappreciated, I think Hassan Whiteside deserves a mention. Certainly a a sect of the population thinks that he's bad. Um, And I think on the whole, he's been good this year. Uh, He has a lot of flaws. He has issues, certainly does. But I think the he gets banged on a little bit more than someone who's like is kind of good should. And also without him, you're looking at a lot of Caleb Swanigan minutes. So I think Hassan deserves a shout out for underappreciated, but I think the real answer it's because Dame is so well-respected and because Hassan is um, perhaps accurately understood as, as flawed, but fine. I think the real answer is CJ McCollum. Uh, everyone tries to trade him every time he plays well. Every t- everyone tries to trade him every time he plays poorly. Um, he's like a really good NBA basketball player. It's hard to score like he does in the league. Uh, he was kind of starting to figure out how to do other stuff before the season ended. I don't know if they moved him, if they could get a player that would be as good as him, I, I don't think you can, it isn't easy to draft a player as good as CJ McCollum. The Blazers certainly have not drafted a player as good as him since he came into the league in 2013. So yeah, CJ is probably the most underappreciated if we're being, we're keeping it real. All right. This next question comes from Jason Reyes at Jason underscore Reyes underscore on Twitter. Don't forget that second underscore y'all. The question is, which three Blazer game replays that may have been forgotten, e.g. not Dame vs. OKC, can you recommend to me? Okay, Jason, I'm not sure all these games are available for you to watch, but if I had to pick three games, here are my three. New Year's Day 2019, Yusuf Nurkic 2025 by 5 
just an absolute monster game. Dame didn't play well. They had to win against the Kings, and be, they didn't have to win against the Kings, I guess, but they, they would not have won without Nurk being awesome, and he was awesome and gave you some statistical symmetry. He was just fantastic. If you can find that game worth re-watching and remembering Nurk at close to the height of his powers. Maybe even just straight up the height of his powers. Next game is, I'm going to say, Brandon Roy's game winner against the New York Knicks in February of 2009. So, obviously people remember B-Roy's 52 against Phoenix. They remember that Christmas Day against uh, Carmelo and the Nuggets when he was fantastic. They obviously remember game four against Dallas. They remember the Houston game winner of B-Roy's, but my, the game that I would go back to and remind yourself of how freaking good Brandon Roy was is that February 2009 game. He gets to the rack, scoops left-handed, and finishes to beat the Knicks at the buzzer. It's truly, truly vintage B-Roy, getting to his left hand. Uh, he was really good in that game. It was kind of a sleepy regular season February game. If you love the NBA, a classic NBA game, right? It's just kind of a bad game against one pretty good team and one bad team in the middle of February, and the best player on the floor wins it because talent wins. And the last game I'm going to recommend, perhaps one of the real forgotten games of the last decade-ish. LaMarcus Aldridge, Game 1 versus Houston in 2014. He had 46 points and 18 rebounds and a 122-120 overtime win on the road, setting up the Blazers' upset of the Rockets. They didn't have home court advantage. They went into Houston and won two. LaMarcus had a monster second game with 42 points, but that game won 46 and 18, hit both of his threes, blocked a couple shots, was just an absolute monster. They had no answer for him. So if you can find game one versus Houston in 2014, find it because talk about LaMarcus at the height of his powers. My man was just on the left block doing work. All right, next question comes from Matthew at Revan Romulus on Twitter who asks, I know you've mentioned having another full-time job outside of the media. Maybe I'm wrong about this. You're not. I do. But, continuing Matt's question, is it your hope to someday be back in full-time capacity writing and reporting on sports? Also, how many marble races did you watch this weekend? Okay, Rev, 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 Rev. I watched one marble race before this tweet, and I loved it. It was awesome. I watched... It was like two and a half minutes. It was dope. Um, I would... We're kind of in, a, in this weird moment in American history, um, certainly a strange time in my house, in my community, and I would watch more marble races. It was fun. I, I, I The two and a half minutes I spent watching the marble race with commentary was fun, would watch again. So I don't know. If, if, we're, if there's more than one, I know there's like one that was being passed around the internet. If there's another one, you want to tweet it at me? You want to... Hop into my DM, send me some more marble races. I would love to check those out. Uh, but in terms of my job, um, I would, I love the NBA. I love writing about the NBA, thinking about the NBA. I enjoy talking about the NBA a little bit too, which is why I have this podcast. But um, the media jobs are just, they're really fragile. Um, I was laid off by the Oregonian while I was a beat writer. Uh, it was one of the worst days of my professional life. It's, um, I don't know that I would go jump back into media knowing how fragile it is. Um, there's, I don't want to leave Portland. There's not a lot of media jobs in Portland. I've got a good setup right now, and my day job is steady. It's reliable. I go to it every day. They give me a paycheck. I really enjoy the stability. So while I would 
chase a perfect situation for a media job. I'm not sure one exists, so I'm probably not going to do any chasing. Okay, next question comes from Maria Morrison Coppolillo. Maria, you know that I don't know your name since you got married, but you were Maria Morrison to me, so we'll stick with that. At Maria underscore more underscore on Twitter, who asks, via her father, Patrick from Gearheart, have either of you, I guess that's me and Maria in this uh this question. Have either of you read Pistol, a Pete Maravich biography? If so, what do you think? If not, why? So I haven't read the Pete Maravich biography. I was in this real run of reading sports biographies a couple years ago, um, and I I kind of got burned out reading about sports when I got off my job of writing about sports. Um, I thought it was really valuable at one point to read what other great writers had written about sports. I, love, I, I loved it for a time, but I kind of got burned out. Um, so I did not get to the pistol, uh, pistol. I did not get to the pistol Pete book. I have seen though, the pistol, the birth of a legend, which is like a sort of like a low budget story of biography story of, um, pistol Pete's life that came out in 1991. I have seen that movie at least twice, minimum twice. Um, so, so I guess I'm familiar with the pistol Pete story pretty intimately in terms of low budget films, but I haven't read the book. Um, so Patrick and Maria, I'll get on it. Okay. we got a, probably got a lot of time at home coming up. It's maybe time to, uh, buy that bad boy. Okay. Next question comes from Hotai Kim at Hotai underscore Kim 97 on Twitter, who asks if the season were to go ahead, how would the scheduling look and when will the new season start? Okay, Kim, I hate to do this, but I just did a podcast that released on Monday. It's titled Happy Nurk Day, and the last two segments are exactly about this. They're how the scheduling would happen, when would the season start, when would the next season start, how the off-season work, all those things. Just fast forward to the second segment, hit about the 10-minute mark, and you'll find it. Um, the quick answer, I, I did, I did you know, 15 minutes on this, but the quick answer is that uh, the season would probably start in mid-June, and so the following season would be crunched in and start on Christmas and they'd go Christmas to June again and try to get back on a normal schedule. Full 82 games packed in there from December 25th to June. Uh, that would be assuming the season starts like mid-June and ends at the very end of August. They play six more weeks of basketball. But yeah, check out the, check out the podcast for more. I gave you the full details on what it might look like. All right, segment three, close out the show. More of your questions. Stick with us. Okay, still Mailbag Monday, still a pass first point guard, still Mike Richmond, still Locked On Blazers. Let's keep it rolling with more of your questions. This next one comes from Logan Gillis, who asks, How upset do you think Hassan Whiteside is that the lost season will mean he won't get his Defensive Player of the Year award? Two things. That's mean to make fun of Hassan Whiteside. Uh, just kidding, I don't care about that. Um, the second thing, though, is that I, I think they're still going to do awards. Like, it's a regular season. All the awards are regular season-based, even if the season is canceled and they don't have the playoffs, they don't have a championship, which is definitely on the table. That's definitely a possibility. But I, I think they'll still give out regular season awards. So I think Hassan will still have a chance to lose Defensive Player of the Year to Anthony Davis or Brooke Lopez or somebody. But yeah, I, listen... 
Can't be one of the five worst defenses of the league and be a defensive player of the year. It's not going to work out for Hassan, even though he blocks a bunch of shots. Okay, next question comes from Amy Hall at Accounting Rocks, A-C-C-T-G-R-O-C-K-S. Amy asks, any basketball documentaries or movies you would recommend we watch instead of games? Um, the movies that I that I love, like Docs, I guess, Hoop Dreams and Gunning for the Number One Spot. Hoop Dreams, a classic, came out in 1994. Um, just just a, a fantastic basketball movie. If you haven't seen it, I think it's available in its entirety on YouTube. The other one, I'm sure you could pay to watch it too if you don't want to do um, theft. But Hoop Dreams, almost certainly it's available on YouTube. The other one, the documentary that came to mind that I enjoy is Gunning for the Number One Spot, uh, produced by Adam of the Beastie Boys. And it follows around a handful of NBA prospects, like high school age kids, the whole sort of like 2008 uh high school graduating class is about to be pros and it has a lot of Oregon connections a lot of Blazers connections uh Jared Bayless Kevin Love Kyle Singler are in it but it also falls around Mike Beasley Tyreek Evans Dante Green Brandon Jennings Lance Stevenson uh it's it's great uh I I love it um it's not like the most fascinating documentary in the world but has a lot of really fun scenes in it uh check it out also, quick confession from your boy, Mike G. Rich, in this space. I have never seen Hoosiers or Blue Chips, two classic basketball films. I don't think you're going to convince me to watch Hoosiers. Like, no thanks. I should watch Blue Chips. I'll put that on, on my homework. Okay, last question for the show. From Sir Wheezy at Wheezy Sir on Twitter who asks, If the NBA season is canceled and they are unable to name a champion, how do you think this lost season will affect the legacies of today's NBA greats? It seems like an interesting narrative of the lost season that meant one less season for LeBron, Giannis, and Kawhi to win a title. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot. LeBron James has looked so, so good. Like, this season was a reminder of how fantastic he is. He's in year 17. He's at worst, like, at worst, he's the fifth best player in the NBA. He's just so good. He's probably going to finish second in the MVP voting. He will get some first place votes for MVP because that's just how it works. And yet, I think there's a real chance that they don't let him play for a championship this season. Um, I think the Lakers were very likely to make the NBA Finals. They look like the best team in the West. Obviously, a lot to go through in the Western Conference, but LeBron was going to have a chance to really cement his legacy as a truly special player, someone to win, have a chance to win three championships with three different teams, to lead three teams to the NBA Finals, if nothing else, all those things. Same with Giannis in a way. Like, the Bucks were having a season where they could have pushed and won 70 games. I don't think they were going to end up doing that, but they were going to win 68, 67 games, be the best team in the NBA, have the best record in the league for the second straight season, the best defense in the league, one of the top five offenses in the league. And Giannis was going to win a second straight MVP, most likely. He's been the best player in the league for the for most of the season. You don't get a lot of opportunities to play at that level with that team and all those things. It's a really, you know, you're, you're in a lot of ways, your legacy is defined by what you do in the playoffs. There was all the speculation by 
those around Giannis or I guess just people around the league who need stuff to talk about that if they didn't make the finals, if they didn't get out of the East, that maybe he wouldn't sign that big designated veteran extension with the Bucks, turning down a 200 plus million dollar contract and putting a real likelihood that he leaves Milwaukee in play. I mean, there was a lot riding on this for his, not just his legacy, but the future of the Bucks, future of the league. Um, and Kawhi, a guy whose body is breaking down, he's got degenerative injuries, and he put together one of the great playoff runs that we've ever seen last year. And it was a chance for him to do that again with a team that was really healthy. I think those were the three teams that had the, the best shot at winning an NBA title. And I don't know what happens with this season. Like I said, I've thought about it a lot, but I don't know. I don't know how the narrative works. I don't know if we say if we appreciate the LeBron and Giannis stuff or it just gets lost. I think it gets lost in the way that the 99 Knicks kind of got lost for making, I mean, maybe they didn't for New York, but like they made the NBA finals and lost to the, to Duncan's, you know, first championship with the Spurs. And it's remembered as sort of the beginning of this Duncan era title, but it's not, it's not sort of how the, the context of the 99 lockout are kind of lost to the world in a lot of ways. I think that's what's going to happen with this season. I think there's a very good chance we don't play basketball, or at least basketball is on hold for an extended period of time. It's it's a very curious place we're heading into. That's going to do it for Mailbag Monday. Before I get out of here, I want to tell you guys sort of what I have envisioned for, for Locked on Blazers. We're not going to play, there's no basketball for at least two months. It's, April and May are off. I don't think June 1st is likely start date. I think if if the season comes back, it's going to come back at the end of June. So what are we going to do for 10 weeks? I'm not going to go anywhere. I said that on a previous podcast, but I want to reiterate, I'm going to still come out with basically the same number of pods that would come out if the, if the season was going. But we're going to get have to get a little bit creative. I have some ideas. The first one I'll roll out later this week. But if you have stuff you want to see, send it my way. Send me ideas. This is a podcast for you, the listener. If you are listening right now, I am making this podcast for you. That's how it works. So send me an email, lockedonblazerspod at gmail. Just tweet at me at Mike G. Rich. Try to get in touch with me if you know another way. Handful of you have my phone number out there. Um, you know, tell me what you want. Tell me what you want to hear from this podcast. Tell me what you what types of things would entertain you. Um, we can go deeper on topics. We have space to get crazy. We have space to explore hypotheticals. Um, if you want, if there's guests you want me to try to effort to get, that's not super easy with my schedule, but if there's someone you're dying to hear from, I can make it, I can try to make it happen. So yeah, let's, let's work together. I'm going to try to be creative and have fun and keep this fun. I don't want to just talk about the state of world affairs. I think uh, all of us with sort of the way things are going are going to get too much of that as is. I want this to play, this to be a place where we can have fun. We can keep it light. We can joke around. We can talk about when Chris Kamen challenged me to a race and I got scared. I want to do things like that. So tell me what you want send me some feedback or if uh later this week when i roll out sort of my first creative idea if you like it send me some positive feedback send me some negative feedback tell me what tell me what to do so we can make this work also tell your friends about this podcast they can get it where they already get podcasts 
We're there waiting for you. Thanks to everyone who contributes to Mailbag Monday. Thanks to everyone who listens to Mailbag Monday. I appreciate all of you. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon.